Hello, and welcome to the Revolution Podcast, where we cover all things related to electric vehicles. On this episode, we're talking with Lash, CEO of a company called Electric Zoo. They help businesses switch to EVs and pretty much handle the process from start to finish. Really excited to talk with him and learn more about the company and also what they're seeing out there uh, in the in the marketplace. So a link to their website is in the description. So please, please feel free to check them out and learn more about all of the great work that they're doing out there. And with that said, I'm happy to introduce Lash, CEO of Electric Zoo. Lash, welcome to the Revolution Podcast. Travis, thank you very much for welcoming me to the uh, podcast. And I'd like to say a big hello to all of the listeners out in the USA. Uh, what Travis didn't actually say is that we're based in the UK. Uh, however, I've introduced that to you now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking with not just Travis, but the wider um, listeners and um, giving you an insight into Electric Zoo and the UK and what we do here. Yeah, that's an important note. So thanks. Thanks for, for, yeah, uh, no for saying that. Really excited for this. I think it'll be great. So maybe to, to start here, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your background in the automotive industry, that might be a good place to start. Sure. Um, my journey to becoming the founder and CEO of Electric Zoo in 2017 actually started back in 2012 for the electric journey. But my initial journey into the automotive industry started way back in 1985. So um, at that point, I set up, uh, founded, as you would say, uh, Autobahn Porsche. So a tiny little setup specializing in the service and repair of, of used Porsche. And uh, from there, we started to sell used Porsche vehicles. But then a huge opportunity came along um, in the mid-90s. Uh, what actually happened was that as the UK and all the individual states in, in Europe, they actually formed the European Union, which was formed earlier. But the European Union decided to have one currency called the euro. Now, this currency came out in 1999, and we'd by this time been well established as um, providers of Porsche used cars. So what, what happened was the media in the UK started to highlight how the British motorist was basically getting uh, ripped off by taxation. The government were taxing the cars, brand new cars, so heavily, it was actually cheaper for British motorists to go across the water, literally across the water, you could get a 45-minute um, a ferry from Dover to Calais, go to France and any other part of, of Europe, buy the equivalent car that we had here, a brand new car, bring it back and save thousands of pounds. So wow. I, that really was interesting. And first I thought, well, I thought nothing of it. But when somebody like Richard Branson gets involved and what he did was set up a company called uh, Jam Jar, and their strapline was, we don't put jam in, in jars, we sell cars. 
And what he did was to import, set up an import company, importing brand new cars and delivering them to consumers' doors. So this was the start of the internet online shopping, if you like. You saw a car online, said I wanted a Volkswagen Golf in white, and you paid the deposit, you paid the funds, they'd say your vehicle is ready, we're going to deliver it to your door. And along would come jam jar written all over this car and this trailer. It'd be turned the trailer, out would pop a VW Golf, and they'd place it on your drive. And for the process of that, you'd actually save somewhere in the realms of £5,000, which was a lot of money considering the car was only £20,000. So yeah. I, I took that concept and I thought, I wonder if I could do it with Porsche because we're only selling used cars and Porsche was a high demand, always has been a high demand, low supply product. So um, I, I went to, to straight to Germany. I went to Europe's largest independent center, sorry, Europe's largest franchise operation from Porsche then, which was Raffae in Hamburg. I went over there and uh, spoke to the guys in sort of broken English, uh, a bit of sign language, and, and sort of showing them the color of my money and saying, I got euros to spend, I want to buy some cars. So I ordered one car. Um, this car, brand new 911 Carrera 2. I worked it all out and I thought, there's a saving to be had here. Ordered the one car, I came back, left the deposit, they said the car's ready, I wired them the money. And at that point, I had two weeks for the delivery. So I decided to advertise the car here in the UK on what was then called the Auto Trader, a magazine that used to come out weekly. Um, you know, if you, if you recall, we're still sort of not pre, we're just at the beginning of the internet um, situation. So a, a, a lot of print media was still out. Yes. From, from there, what happened was I advertised the car in, in, in uh, the Auto Trader magazine. I got so many phone calls. I pre-sold the car, got the money, at, and we sold the car at a premium price. So over the UK list price right because if you wanted a career or two in the uk you would have to wait at least uh, 12 to 18 months my car was ready now so you could have a car literally in days rather than than months um i brought the car back i sold it and the whole exercise i worked it out i thought this is profitable i can make money here and i can supply people with brand new cars that was the beginning of a really, really successful business period for us. So from there, we ordered three cars. From three cars, it's five cars. From five cars, it was 10. From 10 to 20, we doubled up on the order every time to the tune that by 2005, we were selling 150 brand new cars as well as used cars in the UK. So we're totaling about 500 units per annum. And we'd grown our setup to we'd actually moved to an ex Jaguar Land Rover dealership. We'd refurbished that and it looked just like a brand new Porsche dealership. Um, we spent over a million pounds on refurbishing it. I had a team of 34 people. We were the next best option to a franchise dealer. We, we sold parts, we did the servicing, we did the repairs, and we also sold brand new cars as well as used cars and our difference or unique point was 
we would always place our money where our mouth was. So I would go out, pre-order the cars and have them delivered ready on the shop floor to sell. So somebody could walk in and say, I want a 911 Turbo, I want it in white and a black interior and we'd have one in stock. And there were cases when somebody came in and said exactly that. I said, well, I haven't got a white one, I've got a black one. Okay, thank you very much, I'll go away. And the customer would come back two weeks later and buy the black car because there wasn't another 911 Turbo to be had on the shop floor, as they say. We built into Europe's largest independent Porsche centre, um, including surviving the financial crash, which actually worked to our benefit. Uh, we actually grew our business during that period because I was able to buy brand new cars from all over the world, uh, from right-hand drive countries, bring them back here to the UK and retail them at thousands of pounds behind list price. So the motorists were saving money as well as us, but we were making money in the process. That is is a, a, an insight, a, a deep insight into what happened up to 2012. So you built this fantastic business, but something happened along the way that had a big impact on you. What was it that led to your interest in sustainability and electric vehicles? It was going so good. A really interesting point in my life, very interesting point, not just in my life, but my family's life. The whole world changed. My, cha well, my world changed upside down. I came home one day, normal day from work, and my then 12-year-old daughter um, sort of, you know, hello, we're all right, we, we have a bit of a chit-chat, we all always have a family dinner together, and uh, we proceeded to ask each other about our day, and she said, oh, I had a great day. Today, um, we learned about what subjects we can choose when we're going into our final years. Uh, slightly different in the UK compared to the US. Uh, you guys call it high school, so uh, the last two years here uh, are still completed within your normal school, but it's equivalent to high school because we do A-levels. So she said, oh, I want to choose my uh, options for my final years, and then my A-levels, then my university, and I've decided I want to study global sustainable development. And I thought, what is that? Because eight years ago, believe me, those three words were not the words that you and I and everybody across the world knows today. I was a little bit, oh, okay, if you want to do that, yeah, sure, we'll look into it. Not really, honestly, knowing anything about the subjects. A few weeks go by, and uh, Davina comes home and says, oh, Dad, there's a university lecture, a sample lecture at Warwick University. We live about a mile away from Warwick University. On a Saturday morning, off we go to lecture. And I was being the dutiful parent in all honesty. I thought, I'll go there. You know, we'll have a chit-chat, have a look, and uh, that'll be that. I got there, so I'm on my mobile phone and the lecture starts and, and I'm just slightly messaging the guys at work, seeing what's going on on Saturday morning because that would always be a, a busy day for us for sales. And all of a sudden, I just got so interested in the subject when the lecture started. She said, do you know about rising ocean levels? And if the ocean levels rise, as predicted, Oddly enough, New Jersey in the States would be one of the first places underwater. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that. And then she started going on about climate change. And then it was about air pollution and how in the UK, 
you know, we have 40,000 deaths from air pollution alone every year, which costs us 20 uh, billion pounds for, for the NHS service over here to take care of it. So all these facts and figures are coming out. And I, I'm just, wow, I was absolutely astounded. Three hours of my life had never passed so quickly. It was like the blink of an eyelid. And yet my interest levels were absolute peak. I was so engrossed in the subject, I thought I've got to find out more, um, which we did. Six sample lectures later, everything from Glasgow University, which is north, so Scotland, uh, about 350 miles away from us where we live, all the way down to uh, Southampton University, which is right down on the south coast, and that's a couple of hours from where we live. Now, that doesn't sound, by your US standards, that's probably a local ride on the drive from Southampton. My wife and I, all we did was just talk and talk and talk on what we were talking about and discussing was how we were going to go into work on the Monday morning and tell our 34 employees that we didn't want to sell gas guzzling and diesel guzzling Porsche anymore, even though Porsche had been so good for us. Um, needless to say, that went down like a lead balloon. On the Monday morning, I held a team meeting, called everybody in, and we always run our business transparently. My wife works in the business. She's a partner in the business. I called the meeting. And I said, guys, um, I've got to say that, you know, it's fantastic working here. I love the product. Love you guys. But I've got some news and I want to share it with you. I cannot, we cannot collectively challenge it, my wife and I, be doing this anymore because we've just had a complete change of heart, of mind and of life because we now know more than what we thought we knew before. We know that selling gas guzzling and diesel guzzling cars were polluting the atmosphere and the air. This is helping to actually kill people. We don't want to be part of that. And then, I kid you not, there was such an icy cold atmosphere with silence. It was eerie. And this remained for literally days and weeks you could sense it as soon as I walked into work every morning. There was just a silence. Nobody wanted to say anything, but they all wanted to say something. So I called another meeting two weeks later and I said, look, guys, I know this is a big shock. I know you're all upset, but I'll make sure I financially look after you. Over here, again, I think the laws are slightly different to the states. If we make somebody redundant, that means their job is no longer uh, required. We ha the employer has to pay X amount of money dependent on the service or length of time they've been working for you. So I said, look, I'll look after you all. You'll all be paid your due monies. Um, but, you know, we can't let this sort of divide us. We've been so good together for so long. Okay? We've got to carry on until I find a way of disposing the business. A few weeks later, the team called me for a meeting and said, we'd like to speak. I said, yes. They said, well, we've been thinking about it. And if you are going to dispose of the business, we'd like to have the business. 
but the only problem is we haven't got the money to buy you out. So my wife and I discussed it, and within 12 months from the date we actually started talking about it, saying we didn't want to do do the Porsche game anymore, shall we say, we actually gave the business away free of charge to our employees on one proviso that they had to use their own name. They couldn't use the Autobahn name. I wanted to keep that. Wow. I, I can't even imagine what that was like. Was it was my heart was telling me it's the right thing, my head was telling me it's the right thing, and it seemed to be the right thing until the final day came and we walked out the door. And I can honestly say, I I actually wrote um I, I wrote a a blog, I suppose you'd call it now. It's on the internet somewhere. I'll have to find it. I, I wrote it and put it on the internet. How I'm walking away with such a heavy heart. And I had tears in my eyes, but there were tears of not just sadness, but of gladness as well, because I, I was happy and looking forward to a new future. But it was a future I didn't know. I didn't know where it was going. I had no idea. Uh, we just walked out. My wife and I came home and we spent the next two, three months just thinking, what should we do? What are we going to do? And it was like a case of, well, what, what do we do? So we took time out and then thought, okay, it's time for education. Let's go back to school. And we literally did. We went to um, a number of classes online and, and, and reading about stuff, traveling the world, um, looking at things in different countries, in different scenarios, how the motor trade, and it's all motor trade related because that's all we knew of how we could get involved, but not involved in petrol or diesel. And that, in 2012, 2013, 2014, was extremely difficult to do um, because there weren't enough electric cars. And the one brand that kept popping up back again and again and again was Tesla. There was In the UK, we had the Nissan Leaf, first generation, with the Renault Zoe. In fact, the Zoe came out uh, 2013, I believe. Um, so there wasn't a lot to do or a lot to sell. And it was really difficult. But we found a way of passing our time through learning. And that, and that was really, really good because what that did was allow us to build our own knowledge. And in building our own knowledge, we started to formulate a pattern, and through the pattern was that change has to come. But generally, the consensus around the world is we have to do something, and and it's almost like a miracle has happened with COVID-19. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody knew about it. Nobody thought it would affect the Western world, if you like. We all saw what was happening in China and thought, that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's sad that people are dying. But we never thought it would affect you and I in our homes. And yet, through this adversity, we've now got much cleaner air that we're breathing, right? We've got much cleaner waters in the sea. We, we now, when we go out for our daily exercise here in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys, you can hear the birds tweeting, right? You can actually feel 
breathing in clean air is good for you. And all of this, we can actually replicate, not just replicate, we can actually enhance when we get the opportunity after lockdown to restart our world because we can all transition to electric vehicles, which will help create cleaner air through zero emissions. We can appreciate the silence to listen to the birds because of the noise reduction, right? And hopefully in reducing the carbon levels, reducing noise, but also reducing the number of vehicles on the road through new mobility. I hope that gives you somewhat an idea of the type of person I am and where, I come, where I've come from. It's, it's interesting to hear the, the background there. You start learning more about uh, air quality and, and climate change and transportation emissions and all of these things and kind of had that moment and realized we need to figure out a better way to do this and felt so passionately and strongly about it that you you literally gave away your successful business to figure out without even a plan but to figure out how to promote electric mobility or figure out how to grow that space or how to be involved in that space is it's powerful it it really is um it, it really speaks to the challenges that the industry faces but that we're moving in the right direction you know given that given that in 2012 we were looking at tesla and now we have all of these other vehicles to look at and growing from there and you know potentially micro mobility solutions and electric buses and all of these other things so that was that was great it was great to hear hear that story and you definitely took a leap of faith there, I would say, right? Massive, massive leap of faith. I, 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 I mean, obviously, none of us know what is going to happen in the future. Nobody's got a crystal ball. Um, and it's almost impossible to predict what will happen in the future. But I, I just, I felt so passionate, not just I, we as a family felt at the time it was the right thing to do that, we have to make a change. And it's amazing, really, how, how everything that goes round comes round, if you like. Um, you know, the next phase of my journey or our journey. So in, in 2014, I read about Tesla launching a Model X. And um, I clearly remember going to the dealers here in the UK to place a deposit. And I got there and I said, I want to leave a deposit for the new Model X. And, and the Tesla salesperson said, what Model X? I said, you've got a car coming out. It's, it's, well, I didn't even know it was a Model X, actually. I just said, you've got a new car coming out. I've read the article. It's going to be a seven-seater with gullwing doors. And I've read several articles. But this salesperson had no idea. And I said, look, just take my money and give me a receipt to say that I get the first car. And we had the very first Tesla Model X in the UK. I remember going to pick it up. And our nearest dealer, we, we're based in. Um, in, in Coventry, and the nearest dealer is in Birmingham, so about a 25, 20 mile difference. But anyway, we picked the car up, and on the way back, I was just absolutely blown away. There's this two and a half ton car that goes like the wind, and that you could feel the gravity force 
and yet it was totally silent. It was unbelievable. I'd been used to driving sports cars. Porsche are one of the quickest and best cars that you're going to drive. But I'd never driven a silent car and felt the same G-forces. And this thing is like the size of a house. So it's uh, incredibly, it it was an unusual feeling because there's this huge car I'm driving. Like I said, it's a, you could feel this a weighty car. It had so much weight on it. And yet it was going like the wind. And, and it was a really weird feeling. But one feeling that I did get was at that point, for the first time since I'd left Porsche, I had this feeling, I'm onto a good thing. I just had this feeling. You, 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 you know when you've, you've gone somewhere or you've done something or you, you've taken part in an event or something and you feel it's like exercise and you feel exhilarated afterwards. You feel great. You're buzzing. Yes. I really felt in my heart of hearts that was the decision sort of justified. We, we, we were on the right track. And from there, I thought, we thought, we made a plan. What we've got to do is supply electric cars. That's where the game is because we can take the next level or, the, or we can take – the car um, usage, ownership from petrol and diesel through to the next level of electric. Uh, and that was our goal and our aim. And we decided that what we didn't want to do was to have a retail setup, didn't want a showroom. It, it was to do it like the Tesla way, but not even do it the Tesla way. That is, all online, but we wanted to do it in a unique way. We wanted to be an Apple offering of the motor trade. So we wanted to be unique in so much as do it all online, but not do it with the old automotive or the motor trade flavor of put some cars up and say, here they are to sell, and this is the price, and this is the mileage, and come and buy it. That took a long time to do, actually. That took us best part of two two and a half years uh I, I we went up and down the country saw different branding agencies different marketing agencies different people to who every agency every person tells you the same thing they're the best they can market you in whatever direction you want they can build you the best brand the best website the best everything and we spent a lot of time a lot of effort and a lot of money only to find that we'd wasted it because the brand wasn't what we wanted. It didn't reflect us. The website was all so-so motor trade, uh, so-so automotive cars for sale type thing. It just didn't feel like us. So in the end, I thought, no, we're not going to go with that. What I'd like to do, what we want to do then was subscription. I had the idea, concept, that if we could offer a car on a one-monthly fee for the car, the insurance, the maintenance, and just a 12-month contract, just like a mobile phone contract, that's what we wanted to do. Um, But we struggled with that concept because we could not get an insurance company to provide cover. They didn't want to provide cover to uh, as a fixed-price cost to anybody and everybody coming through the door. They saw 
an 18-year-old person as a different risk to a 25, 35-year-old, as a different risk to a 50-year-old, different demographics if they came from a different part of the country or even a different part of the city. They believed these people were had to be insured individually and not as a collective risk. So we struggled with that. And basically, we were going along sort of hitting barriers at every point we wanted to enter the market. There was another barrier and another barrier and another barrier. So eventually, I thought perhaps going down the wrong track, what we're trying to do is to bring a revolution to the world, or certainly, I say to the world here in the UK, uh, and define it down even further in the middle or the centre part of the UK, which is called the Midlands. So maybe we were trying to do too big a project, to run a too big a project and change everything in one go. And that's when it sort of hit home that we were probably too far ahead of our time at trying to change people's perceptions and the way they drive all in one go. Um, that is what led us to where we sort of have ended up now. Because at that stage, we decided that what we needed to do was to educate people. And to educate people, rather than individually, which would take us probably a lifetime and beyond, we had to educate the biggest users. The biggest users are businesses with fleets. So how do we educate businesses or, or, or fleets to be transitioned to electric and that was the trick because what we've done now is developed a smart box technology as i call it simple telematics we haven't developed the telematics that they are what they are but what we've done is we've created the telematics to be self-powered on a battery so they don't need to be plugged into an onboard computer. They don't need to be hardwired into the vehicle. They don't need to be anything other than a black box. Put it in your glove box. Put it in the boot of your car. Put it under the seat. Anywhere out of sight. So you can, once you put it in there, you can forget about it. Drive your car around for 30 days. After 30 days, this is what the part that we've developed is a software. The software analyzes the usage of the current um, ICE vehicle from which we can actually find the ideal replacement electric vehicle with demonstrated savings in money and in carbon dioxide. So using a BMW 320 as an example, if you were to replace that car on a three-year basis with, an with a Tesla Model 3, you would save £3,500 and you would also save 4,000 kilograms of CO2. That is a powerful tool in business because times the three three and a half thousand pounds times 10 vehicles or 100 vehicles in a fleet, then the big money starts stacking up. Then businesses are interested in talking to you. And if you can give them the additional bonus of, look, we're also saving this much carbon, and that can be a massive tick in, in the corporate uh, social responsibility box here, CSR as I call it, which is a big plus factor now for employers and employees because employees want to go to companies that are going to see the future in a better way, that are going to preserve the planet 
for the future generations and be part of that movement. So this is what we've done. And only literally, literally one, literally the beginning of March, have we got our technology together to be doing this. And then obviously COVID-19 has hit. So, um, which is not a bad thing at all, to be honest. Uh, um, it's worked out really well for us because it's allowed us time to develop the website. It actually explains in very simplistic terms what we do, what we offer, how it works. And, and from the results of our um, EV suitability study, it's simplistic because if we don't demonstrate savings, we don't charge for our service. Only pay if you're going to save. Otherwise, it's free. That's how confident we are of finding the savings. And once we've found the savings, you have an option or the customer has an option. They can either pay us and tell us, wave us goodbye and say, thank you very much, I'll sort the rest out. Or they can use our services for procurement of the vehicles at no extra cost or additional cost to what they would pay anywhere else. We can supply and install the charge points we can supply the energy tariffs that are best suited for them. We can provide a number of situations that would benefit the business at every level and actually gear them or future-proof them, I should say, for coming years with the provision of solar energy and or battery storage. So there's a whole host of services we can offer and or just leave it at the first step and do it at a step-by-step stage. So that is, is what we arrived to. And as I say, with uh, hopefully post-COVID-19, we can get going on the project. Yeah, that's exciting. A couple of points that you made, I think that are pretty important here is that when you're talking to businesses, you're leading with the financial aspect first, saying that this will save you money and you're you're showing them how much because you've analyzed their vehicle and their driving pattern over over 30 days and then you're also showing the environmental impact uh which is also very important uh probably second place in importance but the cost savings are huge for a company with with a large fleet or even a small fleet i think the important thing is that a lot of people find this somewhat complicated because it is different. It is a different type of vehicle. It is maintained differently. It is refueled differently. So being able to help them through, this is the kind of vehicle that would fit your needs. These are the cost savings. And all the way down to, we can help you actually acquire the vehicle a couple of different ways, it sounds like. And then we can also help you figure out how to charge it. And now that you're using more electricity, maybe you want to look at where you're getting your electricity from or maybe just the the pricing of it and maybe having some solutions there like buying, buying solar or placing solar, for example. I like what you guys are doing there because you're not just saying if you need an electric vehicle for a fleet, Here's electric vehicles. You're you're really making that decision easier and letting them make those purchasing decisions a little bit more confidently because they can see the numbers. And I think that's that's the selling point for 
for someone that's making a big decision and buying 10 vehicles, for example, you know, they, they, they need this to be able to understand that. But that's exactly what we're doing. We're making, hopefully highlighting pe- to people the benefits of going electric. And, and as our strap line is, uh, we help you go electric the easy way. We take all of the pain out of there again. And what we're saying is there's nothing for you to do other than put this little black box in your car. We do everything else for you, and you can just tell us at which stage you want to, us to be involved or not be involved, and we can just take it from there. Yeah, very, very simple. And to your point, you have a couple of different models there. You can help through the entire process or help through part of the process if they're if they're comfortable there. So I think another important aspect of this, at least at least in my opinion, is that you are brand agnostic. So you work for your customers to give them good advice and hopefully help them help lead them to making a purchasing decision to switch to electric transportation but you're not selling a specific brand you are you're you're able to offer them any vehicle that is for sale in the market that meets their needs and i think that probably carries a lot of weight as well is that is that something that you're you're hearing that they value the flexibility there? That's correct, because our whole ethos is totally to be brand agnostic. We only want the best scenario for the customer. So it doesn't matter to us whether they, they, they want brand A or brand X. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever works best for them is our, our um, best result. So the same in the charging solutions we will provide the most effective charging solution for them, whether it's work-based or a, work, or a home-based situation. And again, in that, I'm, I'm sure the US has got the same as us, where we take care of all the government grant documentation. So uh, businesses are allowed um, savings on charge points, up to 40 charge points. Um, in fact, I think it's unlimited now. They've just changed the legislation again recently. And it's the same at home. You get a government grant towards your charge point we take care of all that painful form filling for the clients so that's one thing with the cars being brand agnostic but again with having direct supply lines from all the manufacturers we can supply the cars and it's purely a use case as to what works best for the customer it may well be that the customer says you know what i don't really want to look at future proof and i just need something today we will provide for today other other clients may say, we want to be looking at growing our fleet today from 10 electric cars to 40 electric cars in the future. So we want our charging infrastructure, for example, to be uh, in line with the growth so we can just add on and grow or we'll have more than more capacity than what we need now. And the same happens even at the start of the journey where even though we've showed the savings in monetary and carbon dioxide amount customers are still a little bit shy they're, they're not sure about electric cars so we have our own fleet um we've got a fleet of 16 odd cars what virtually one of every every model and make a model that you can have in electric cars currently so we'll say to the client you know what why don't you try this for two weeks before committing to buying a vehicle for the next two years or four years on on a contract hire situation why don't you try this to see if that works for you? If, if 
a Tesla Model 3 doesn't work for you. Uh, we've actually had a few where customers say, you know what, that, I find it difficult getting in and out of the vehicle because it's so low. I need something higher up. So, okay, would you like a Hyundai Kona? Would you like a Kia Nero? Would you like whatever the vehicle may be, an Audi e-tron? So we can give them one of everything to trial. Try it before you buy it. And they can make their own minds up as to what they need. And in other businesses, we've had a situation where the managing director or the owner of the vehicle, uh, owner of the business says, you know what, I want an Audi e-tron or a Jaguar I-Pace for myself. I need my employees to have the Nissan Leaf. So it's different use cases, different requirements, but we try to match them all and provide the best solution for each business because there's no two businesses that are the same with the same requirements. I think that's important there too, is that no two businesses are the same. So there's definitely going to be some flexibility in the offerings and in the, you know, in the sales cycle, I guess. How do you grow something like that? So with the goal of helping as many businesses as possible convert to EVs and obviously grow your company as well, um, what do you see as as the best way to scale that so you're able to to see as many of those businesses converting to electric as possible? So um, our growth forecast is all based on doing more more EV suitability studies. So the black boxes, we will start putting them out to fleet companies. Uh, to, when I say fleet companies, fleet suppliers. Um, who are already in the petrol and diesel world of supply to companies. So we'll say to them, look, guys, why don't you use our tech, put it into your clients' cars, trial it, see what the results are, and if nothing else, you can offer your client an option, whether they wish to stick with the petrol, whether they stick, wish to stick with the diesel, go hybrid, or go full electric, according to our reports, and we can actually demonstrate how much money they can save if they will go to go to full electric. And in the process, if, if the fleet suppliers want to supply the vehicles so they retain their business, we are quite happy for them to do that as long as we get paid for our EV suitability study. And then we're quite happy to work in conjunction with them to make sure they've got the correct charging infra infrastructure in place at home at work, and also the energy tariffs. So, you know, again, it, it's working with people for the best solution that, that works for them. That makes perfect sense. You may have already said this, but just in case I missed it, yeah. how many different vehicles do you currently offer? We've got 16 at the moment, 16 different vehicles in the fleet. Everything from a Renault Twizy, which isn't really recommended for fleet. Um, sure. Through, through to the most popular being the Tesla Model 3. And now we've got arriving uh, the new Renault Zoe, which is, I, I think that car will do very, very well. The new car has a 240-mile range. The price is good. It doesn't have the battery lease option where you have to pay every month to Renault. And it's an all-round car that you can use for the city you can go out the city um it's an everyday car but i think price is what's going to really drive that car it'll really really appeal 
uh, until the VWI D3 comes out. And I think that we were post uh, or pre-COVID-19, we were told it would be late summer, autumn in the UK. What happens now? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. But we're looking forward to that car. We have some several of those on order. Yeah, I think those are both impressive in that that low price range and the the battery range being up there as well. So I think that yeah. that those cars would definitely do well too. It really depends on on the budget for the customer. I mean, our own fleet we have sixteen cars. As I say, everything from a Twizy through to a Tesla Model X. Uh, and we well, one exciting car we have coming, very exciting, especially for me and us with our background is we have the Porsche Taycan arriving, which we, we were about to take delivery because Porsche actually emailed me and said, your car is ready. It's now leaving the factory. That was on the Friday. And then on the Monday, we had lockdown. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. Eagerly waiting for that. But I think that that will that that's a separate section of our business, which at the moment is a little bit under wraps, but we've got some huge plans to re-enter the Porsche world um, or Porsche electric world, I should say. That gives us a huge opportunity to be uh, back in, uh, going back to our route through Porsche. And obviously, you know that business, you know that that customer segment. So that makes a lot of sense too. I made a comment earlier saying how I drove the very first Tesla Model X and I thought it was absolutely fantastic for the size and the weight of the car in ratio to the speed that you could pick up and, and the acceleration. But the Porsche, wow, that, that's another level altogether. That really is. And I think that, that'll, that'll, help, that'll help the uptake of electric cars at a much faster rate because the desirability factor comes into it with the brand. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a Porsche driver may be interested, but they like Porsche, so they they may not want a Tesla Model S, for example. So they've probably been hopefully eagerly awaiting it, and hopefully it will it will do very well as they continue to to scale up production and deliveries and and all of those things. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think that car will do very, very well. And it's the first electric Porsche, but it's the beginning of Porsche electrifying the range. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an exciting car to say the least. So I haven't driven one, but I've seen seen the reviews and it's, a, it's an impressive car. Well, sub, subject to the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, travel ban being lifted, you're more than welcome to come over and test drive ours. Yeah, definitely. I might I might take you up on that. Anytime. You're most welcome. Most welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. One question that, that I'm kind of interested to see what your thoughts are. What's the biggest challenge you see for the company right now? What are your concerns with starting this? To be honest, I, I, I don't see... Well, the, the biggest challenge now, obviously, is COVID-19 because economy not just here in the UK, but around the world, it's had to literally shut down overnight. Getting the economy going is going to be a much longer process. And the, it's the economy that will drive effectively the retail business and sales uh, 
of anything, it doesn't matter what it is, and cars, unfortunately, will, I think, fall into the category where it's not a necessity to change your car today that can wait, right? Um, but the opposite view that we should take and, and, and the authorities should take is to actually make the change now, make it their priority to for future transportation to be emission-free. And this is a great opportunity for them. However, personally, uh, or on a smaller scale, a challenge for us as a company is going to be the scalability of, of our product, the, the smart box, to scale that up as rapidly as we had planned to do so uh, or forecast to do so prior to the COVID-19 situation. So I think that might set us back, but I, I think it will only set us back months rather than years. Um, I believe that probably this time next year, if not before, We'll have a nine-month-odd delay in, in our plans, and then it will be a challenge to ramp up. But that nine-month period will present us with an opportunity to further develop and fine-tune our offering. So we hit the, hit the ground running after, after the lockdown re restrictions are lifted. And it's not just the lockdown restrictions being lifted. I think it's people's confidence to come back and resume life as we knew it just only a few weeks ago, but it seems such a long time ago. Uh, I think there's going to be a confidence-building situation, and, and as the confidence builds, business will build. As business builds, we will progress. Yeah, that's very true. It, it may take some time, but there are ways to use that time maybe to, to refine and adjust and just be that much more ready for when things do get back to new normal or or the new normal new normal yep and one last question before we before we wrap up here so i think we both agree that evs are the future and we're moving the right direction both in the industry itself uh public policy all of those things but what do you think needs to happen for a more widespread EV adoption? I think what needs to happen there is that not just the UK government, but the governments of the world have to be realigned. And, and as I keep referring to COVID-19, I think this is a blessing in disguise because it's made us realize what we can do what we can achieve and how good it can be. And I'm referring to clean air, cleaner oceans, right? Smog-free. We all breathe easier. We all live longer and we all live happier. So the governments have to address or readdress where they're at with their policies in terms of reaching net zero faster than what they'd already predicted. A lot of countries are predicting 2040, 2050. The UK are at 2035. It'd be great if they'd said, you know what, we've got to make it 2030. And that gives us 10 years or nine years effectively by the time we get going to actually do something about it. That will help them 
the manufacturers, the big traditional manufacturers, to say, you know what, we've got a down tool with the petrol and the diesel, and we've got to up tool for for electric. In doing that, once those big big decisions are made at the top, at the lower level, charging infrastructure is what it's all about. People have got to have the confidence they can drive 300 miles plus on a single charge. That's the one figure that everybody bands around at, at, at every conference I go to, at every um, meeting I go to, every post I see on LinkedIn or anywhere else. Everybody's got this 300 mile range, 300 mile range. It's a fallacy. I know it's a fallacy because I've been driving electric vehicles for the last five years of my life. In fact, six. And during those six years, I've come out of a Renault Zoe that does 60 miles to driving a Tesla that does 320 odd miles, right? Uh, And I don't drive 320 miles without stopping. Most of my journeys, Monday to Friday, are done with a 60 mile range. I don't even need that because there's some 40 miles. In the US, Yes, you've got longer distances to cover, but would you still need 300 miles without a break? That's a question. And I think we have to take it back to the education element. We need a greater level of education for people to understand what I'd, what you actually do or what you actually require the vehicle for. And this is where our EV studies really, really bring home some messages when we demonstrate this to people. They say, oh, that's my, is that my data? Are you sure? I said, well, the box was in your car. And I, I just showed them the heat map and say, did you actually do this journey? We can, you know, on, on Tuesday, whatever day it was, whatever week it was, on this day, did you drive from Birmingham to Wolverhampton, which is 20 miles away, and you drove back? Yes, I did. I said, well, that's your data then. And they can't believe that because everybody has it in their heads that they, it's like having a tank full of petrol or, or diesel. I need to have that tank full because I might need it. If you need it, you can fill it. And that, that, I think that's the educational part that we need to bring home. So to answer your question, three things that government decision makers of the world, the leaders have to make big decisions and bring down the, the date to go net zero. The manufacturers need clearly to state their case that they are tooling up and will produce electric cars in the future, but the near future. And third, education at ground level for consumers that they don't need 300 mile range. And if they do, to give them the confidence by saying, okay, we got the charge infrastructure covered. You can have a charge here, there, everywhere, at a very, very regular, frequent situation. And that would give them peace of mind to actually make the transition. I think those... Those are probably the, the three most important factors, and all all three really need to happen for for this to to really grow in an efficient and well thought out way. So I think that's very important. I think my views are that we're we are on a onto a really really good thing at the moment. The traction is gain, is being gained. People are beginning to realise, manufacturers included. The governments are sort of here in the UK, to be fair to the Conservative government, they've been really pushing on on the uh, electric vehicles. And I hope they continue to do so now post-COVID-19. My only fear is that 
not just here, but US, further afield, because of COVID-19, the decision makers may have their thought process or their mindset in another place rather than being focused on this. I, I, I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope I'm proven wrong on that. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope that the the air quality benefits that we're seeing, like in Los Angeles, for example, or the ability to not travel as often, uh, work from home more, uh, all of those different things. Hopefully that part is something that is able to be carried forward in the future. So we'll see. Yep. I hope that's the way it is. Like I said, what we need to do is to not just reduce the carbon in the atmosphere, not just not just reduce the carbon, but also to reduce the number of vehicles on the road. And we can do that by new mobility of thinking, how can we do the journeys, but make them more effective, uh, effective by combining elements of the journey into whether it's car sharing, whether it's electric car clubs, whether it's do you need that second or third car on your drive that you're paying for every day. And and I think with COVID-19, it's made a lot of people realize they have a lot of vehicles that they don't use, but they pay for. Very true. Very true. And they sit, at least in the U.S., I forget the exact number, but something like over 80%. It's it's well over 80%, if I'm not mistaken. 80% of the time, the vehicles are sat and parked, idled, and not being used. Here here in the U.K., it's 90% where the vehicles laying idle so even if you drive in the morning to work that they're eight hours a day then you get in the car and you drive it home and it's sat on your drive for eight hours the night so i don't know it makes you think makes you think it does it does well last thanks for talking with us here today this was great i I really appreciate hearing more about electric zoo uh, your thoughts on the EV industry, but but more importantly, I think your story really has a lot of impact. That leap of faith that you took and knew it was the right direction and kind of figured it out from there. And hopefully there's a way to get back into that with with this and possibly what you're, you're planning with Porsche as well to kind of do a, a new version of, of some of that too. But really appreciate your time. No, thank you very much, Travis. Really, I'm grateful to you for you contacting me and giving me this opportunity i hope the listeners like it i'd really like to do this sometime with you soon um see how we're progressing um in six months time not just we as a business at electric zoo but we as society and and how things are going over there in the u.s as well yeah you are certainly more than welcome don't be a stranger i would look forward to talking with you again thank you very much travis look forward to the opportunity as well And listeners, as always, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. And please check out Electric Zoo. Link is in the episode description. And stay tuned for more great EV episodes to come. (laughs) 